and welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Billy Holiday. Hello there. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And this episode we're taking on a patron request to cover the adventures of Willie Beamish for the Sega CD. But before we dive into that request, Billy, you missed our last bonus show. What have I you did. been playing since? I'm a, I feel like a regular old rat bastard. I'm sorry, this job has got me by the neck. And the life is slowly draining out of me as we speak. But I did have a little bit of time uh, in between the tiers to, to play a game or two. Uh, still playing a lot of CrossCode, and I mean a lot of it. Uh, I'm going through kind of doing a little grinding here and there. Um, like I said last time, it does a good job uh, of not making it a super repetitive kind of slow thing. Uh, so I did that. I took a chance uh, with with Halloween coming. I'm trying to stock up on all the spooky games I can find. Um, I got, I believe it's called Sunken City on the Switch. I haven't played it yet, um, but it was on a deep sale. So I picked it up. Another one that was on a deep sale that didn't really retail for much to begin with is Awakening of Cthulhu on the Switch. Uh, Awakening, because I think there's a call of Cthulhu also. Uh, this is a short game, and I, would, I finished it one sitting, and I, I would basically say... Uh, distance yourself as far as possible from that damn game. Uh, it is one of the worst Switch titles I have played. And that's saying a lot, because I've, I've been known to just pick up some shit on there. Uh, but no, that was the other game I played besides CrossCode, and I have absolutely nothing good to say about that one. Well, I have finished several games since our last main episode. I finished Shenmue 3, which is not as bad as I thought. I heard a lot of complaints about the ending. Um, I would say it's not really an ending, which I understand that complaint, but it was a satisfying conclusion to this step in the journey. But did it finish the story set out at the beginning of Shenmue 1? No, of course not. Uh, but otherwise, I enjoyed that thoroughly. I also finished uh, Mortal Shell, which I talked about last show, the, the kind of cheaper Souls-like. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I highly recommend it. I finished it. It's not long, but it's the kind of game I can see playing over again because it's short enough. I can You can blow through it in a couple hours, maybe, three or four hours tops, and that's really maximizing everything. And there's also enough minor differences in how you play with different weapons that it, it would be fun to play through that. But the other thing I bought, I've been trying not to buy games, but I, that means I'm going to end up buying more games somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, I bought the... Uh, it's, it's just come out for PS4. I don't think it's been out for PC much longer. But the Necromunda game, I don't know if either of you guys are familiar with Necromunda. It is mm -hmm. a Warhammer 40K-based small squad gang fighting game. And of the time when I played a, a bunch of, uh, of miniature-based war games, Necromunda was the one I fell in love with because, one, you only needed like eight models. So you don't have to buy $2,000 worth of metal to play the game. But, two, because it was small squad-based, everyone was treated like their own unique identity you didn't have to move everyone as a unit you didn't have to worry about formations it was just like if you can see like if you put your hand you know like a, a direct line of sight from your model to the next model and you could see them then you, you got to fire with no minus and if there is like a little bit of cover you can just see their arms then it's a 50 percent modifier like it's little simple rules anyway they've converted it to uh, a fairly good tactical strategy action game 
uh, where each person you control individually, but it is turn-based, so you do your whole move. You have so many move points you can move so far, and then you have so many action points. Uh, and it ends up being you know, actually really quite good. I'm still playing through the story mode. After that, you can uh, make your own gang from scratch and do, I guess, online missions, which I will probably never do. But it's a really, really cool game. If anyone out there likes Necromunda, I highly recommend checking it out. If you don't know what I'm talking about, unfortunately, Necromunda is incredibly expensive to find now <laughs> in actual model format. So, uh, so I guess, sorry you missed out on that. But Jeremy, what have you been playing? I still continue my quest through Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, I actually finished up the the first uh, Relic Reborn, which is the the main game, one through fifty levels, one through fifty. And man, they, god damn, this is literally just cutscene the MMO, because the way they have rearranged everything so people can get past that you know that first one through fifty pretty quickly is. They basically made it so that you can do story missions over and over and over again. Not not the same ones, but, you know, you finish one, you go straight to the next one. Back when you were playing, back when it was first released, it was like the story missions were kind of like the breaks from the, the, the all the other side quests and stuff like that. You could only mm-hmm. do them every, like, five five levels or something. Um, you know, and, and that's when you got to got to continue the story. And generally, these quests aren't anything. Most of them are like, you know, they're, they're story missions. They progress the main story, and there's not really much action to them. So it's like, hey, go here, talk to these people. Okay, there's a cutscene. Now talk to this person. Go here, talk to this person. Come back, talk to the person you just got done talking to. It's a lot of that. And then occasionally, like, you open up, like, a, a primeval, like something like Ifrit or, or um, you know, some Titan. You know, those those Final Fantasy summons or a dungeon, something like that. Mm. In the original game, when it was first released, you would do a lot of side missions or side quests that would supplement all of that. You wouldn't just have to experience that over and over. Um, so now that's not the case. You don't actually have to do any side missions whatsoever, for the most part, through the entirety of levels one through 50. You can just do the story missions back to back to back. And holy shit, is it tedious after like around level 25 or so. It doesn't take too long to get through any of this stuff. Like I made it through, I got to 50 and I think about a week of very light play. But there is just, without those side qu- needing to do those side quests, like it's just incredibly tedious to just do these missions where you're just going to talk to somebody and coming back and then talking to somebody, watching a cutscene. And some of these cutscenes, holy shit, they can go on for fucking ever. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about, like, I'm talking like Metal Gear Solid fucking style oh, cutscenes. Like, ten, 10 minutes long of fucking cutscenes in this game uh, sometimes. And it's just a lot of watching. But the thing is, the rest of the game is so goddamn good that it's almost worth dealing with all that stuff. Because I love doing the dungeons. I love doing the summons. And a lot of the other stuff that's in the world that's just fun to do, but the way they did, they they kind of just squashed all that to, together, in that those levels one through fifty really just makes it super super tedious to get through. I finally made it through. I I did the uh, the final main main mission and all that stuff, and all that was was pretty cool and stuff. And now I'm on to like the the first uh, expansion. I think it's Heaven Sword. And like that's that's been pretty cool so far. It does have a decent story at some point, 
like maybe around like level 40, things start to get a little bit more interesting. But literally for the most part of, of like three fourths of that one through 50 storyline, it's just kind of going around and introducing yourself and, and not really anything of any worth. You're just kind of meeting new characters and, and nothing matters. But and, and that's one thing that that made it very tedious because it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to go over here and learn about these people's tavern and <laughs> and why their symbols mean this. And let's meet this random person. It's it's just it's it, yeah, I, it's tedious. But I, I absolutely love the game. I still love the game. And uh, I will probably I'm going to continue playing it. We've got we've got more than a few people actually on the server now playing it with us. And um it's it seems like it's getting much better once once you actually power through that one through 50 and get into the expansions so that's basically all i've been playing yeah i cannot get another mmo but if i was going to that's the one i would i would start playing but thankfully we continue to get requests to cover games that none of us have played one is the game we're going to talk about now the adventures of willie beamish for the sega cd This one slid right by me. Um, I, it's no, no big secret. I think I've expressed my love for the Sega CD many a time. Uh, and, and always, if my video stores in town had a Sega CD game, I snatched it up. I, I think I gave every single one there uh, a try if, if it was available. And bought a good deal of them, too. Uh, my stores in town uh, never had a lot for sale. I did pick up what they had, um, but Willie Beamish, I am going to say, is just is one that was never in my area growing up. Uh, so it's it's something I knew of uh, from game magazines. Didn't know many details about it at all. Uh, and and no, it's it's not even one of those I kind of went back and visited. It, it kind of slipped through the the Sega CD cracks when it comes to me. I, I never owned a Sega CD, so this was something that I only really saw in the magazines. And I always remember being impressed by it because any picture I saw is like, wow, this just looks like a cartoon. You know, it, it just looks literally like something out of a Saturday morning cartoon. And I was like, how do you play something like this? This was back before I had ever played any, anything like a PC adventure game. Mm -hmm. And this was really when, you know, that whole like CD uh, adventure game kind of thing it, it was just getting was starting to get big, I guess. Um, so like you, you, you had a lot more animation. You had a lot of these games that looked like more like a, you were watching a, a TV show or a cartoon than, than actually playing a game. And that really fascinated me. So I was, every time I saw a picture of it, I was very interested in it, but I never got to play it until this came up. I played, and I, we bought this up before when we talked about, um, the Uninvited, and I think we've done, uh, in, a, in a more closer to this kind of game, we covered Grim Fandango. So th these are the kind of games I grew up playing. You know, I played all the, the early Sierra games, the King's Quest, the Space Quest, Quest for Glory. I played all the point-and-click uh, LucasArts adventures with the Scum Engine, so Monkey Island and Maniac Mansion. Like These are the kind of games I grew up on, including the ones that were just straight-up text-based that had a you know a graphic screen mate come up, if you're lucky, and then you'd set to type everything out in a command. Like, I loved these sort of games. 
And Willie Beamish is one of these kind of games. This game came out in 1993 uh, by Sierra, actually part of their Dynamics label. And it was originally on PCs and Macs, and it came over to the to the Sega CD in 1993. Now, something that, that games of this kind had changed at that point, you know, if you play the original King's Quest, the original Space Quest, it was still typing commands. You would, you know, use your mouse or your joystick in some cases to move your character around the screen, but then you would type, you know, pick up key. Use key and door. You know, all the things you normally would do now with, with point and clicking, you'd still have to type into those interfaces, even though you were pointing and clicking around the screen. And then, you know, like the, the LucasArts Scum Engine games started making it a little more streamlined where you just use a mouse. You don't have to type. You would click open and click the door on the screen. It would open the door. You would click use and click one of the items in your inventory and then where you want to use it on the screen. All great. Great enhancements to this kind of game. I, I like that. This point in time, which for me is also King's Quest Seven and Space Quest Six, uh, were games that did this in series that I already followed, but it's not like these were the first games that did it. But a lot of the Sierra games would change to uh, what I would consider to be a more intuitive one-button interface. So you'd move around, you'd have a, a cursor on the screen, and if you just move to any point in the screen and you click the button, your character would walk there. And if there's something to do there, the cursor would change to a hand automatically to pick it up. Or, or if you went to... Uh, someone you're supposed to talk to when you go over them, the, the little cursor changes from an arrow to a, a talk button. This game, Willy Beamish, is more like that. So you move the, the you move your cursor around the screen with the, with the D-pad, and then as you're over something you can look at, the cursor changes slightly. If it's somebody you can talk to, the cursor changes again. If it's somebody you can pick up, then the cursor, if it's something you can pick up, the cursor changes again. It's this intuitive interface that is what makes these games, in my opinion, at that time, I did not like them as much as the other point-and-click yeah, open games or yeah. the, the type that mm -hmm. you want games. I could never know exactly what I was supposed to do, even though mm -hmm. it was much simpler. Yeah, and, and several of them ad ad adopted this style. I think the first one I played uh, was a game called Sanitarium on PC, uh, and, and I believe it had that way of... Um, and I, I love that game to death, um, but... Um, and I did the same thing on it where I did on here where I found I was thinking less. Instead, I was just kind of covering every bit of the screen, just kind of waiting, um, which is not an enjoyable way to play. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, this was a, I, I, you know, if you would have asked me, I guess on paper, this seems a lot more preferable than the old, I go back to when I was playing, you know, Maniac Mansion, the old, you select the command, you select the item, you select what you want to do, uh, et cetera. Uh, this does sound uh, like it would be a lot more streamlined and that it might kind of speed things up. It might be a more enjoyable experience. It changed the way I played it uh, and, and in a way I didn't really enjoy. Well, the other factor of making this game something that um, I, I understand why I probably didn't jump at this is not only did the change to this interface and kind of making it a little more acceptable to, to people who weren't used to typing commands in uh, for the games, is this is also the early uh, advent of CD-ROM gaming. So mm -hmm. this is still when everyone realized, oh, these are all things we, we want to do because now we have all the space and we have all this ability. So some things are great. Having actual audio soundtracks behind your game, wonderful. That made RPGs worlds better, in my opinion, to have a, a much more involved soundtrack. And and to have uh, little videos. You know, you're not going to have FMV videos in, in most carts because there's not enough room for that kind of stuff. So you could do that here. And so there were games like 
uh, like Night Trap that we had covered a, a few months ago, where it's all these little FMVs, and yes, you're really just hitting buttons at certain times, but but still, it was cool to have that sort of thing, and you know, we did kind of luck out by playing that, uh, except for Jeremy, on, on modern console remakes, so we didn't have to worry about the, the biggest minus to CD-ROM gaming was the loading. Load times mm. when CD-ROM started were so long and you don't remember how long they are anymore unless unless you're still using those systems because you just <laughs> you remember it being long but since it was just that's how it was you didn't really think about it until newer faster games came out and then you went back to play them you're like oh that is slow uh, or the mm. the occasional slow game on a current system where you're like this is unbearable how do people do this and you're complaining about 10 second load times this game because it's an early cd-rom game it has to load every screen, and it takes mm. a little bit of time. Uh, this game is determined to use speech, which, again, a super cool thing you couldn't have done on a cart. You're not going to have everyone talk with actual vocals and actually have the game give you like a narrative explanation of every item. But you can't change that to only having text. You have to yeah. listen to it. So not only is it long because you're listening to someone voice acting this, you know, old man talking to you or whatever you also have to wait through the load time for that old man to start talking and this mm. game has has that as in my opinion the biggest the biggest negative to this game even then is that because it's cd based and because they want to use all this sound and and it takes all this time to load it is maybe the slowest game we have covered on this podcast it's it's ambitious. It's very ambitious for that time, <laughs> because I this, if it was any single thing uh, that there could be any bit of talking about or any description of, it's there and it's 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 in full voice. Uh, they did not <laughs> skirt around that in any respect. And yeah, I mean, looks good. Uh, looks great. Sound, uh, Jeremy said before, uh, it's it's a Saturday morning cartoon come to life, but I, it's, I think it's one where uh, it's on VHS and someone is hitting the pause button every 20 seconds or so, or less. Um, but yeah, it is. It's something. And I um, have played a lot of Sega CD games and early PC games um, lately. Uh, and... I, it, it's just, it's something I'm accustomed to. I'm not very shocked by load times, like a long load times, but it's never uh, been so invasive, maybe is the word. Like uh, you'll, uh, your Willie will try to start running from a character and you just kind of stop mid run. Uh, it, it's not one of those things where the load times are in between important parts. Uh, it's just, no, uh, the screen doesn't go black. Everything just kind of freezes. It loads and it loads. Uh, you know, there's a little more dialogue. It loads again. Yeah, this is probably the, the slowest <laughs> game we have done on here. I'd have to agree with that. I played this on the RetroPie and it, you know, it's, it's very, it's very good at emulating games across multiple systems. And I've played Sega CD games on the RetroPie for, for quite a while, and it, they've worked very well. So I put this one on there, and I legit thought it was broken. Yeah, like yeah. This, I, think, I think we all, I think we all uh, check several sources. Yeah, and I, I'm sure, like, you know, the PC version and stuff like that's better about loading, because, but the Sega CD only had a 1X CD drive. So the amount of memory this thing could move, or data this thing could move around at, at any one time is incredibly slow. 
Now that doesn't, that's not too bad for most regular video games that want to load in an entire level or something like that at once. You know, you're going to have that long loading time and then, but then you've got the game there in front of you. You can play it without interruption. This one is constantly having to load in new dialogue, new scenes, new art all the time. And it is absolutely shocking how slow this thing moves. And it's just, it's close to be, as someone that played through the entirety of Mist on the 3DO <laughs> as a kid, like, I don't even know if I could have done this as a kid because it is just, like, it, it's just so amazingly slow. I'm not talking, like, three or four seconds of loading times. I'm talking, like, upwards of ten seconds on a lot of going to different screens. Things where, like, you press, you activate something, and it just sits there, and you're wondering, what's happened? Did, did it? Did I do it? Like, did I actually, did I press the button? So it, it just takes that long for things to happen. You eventually kind of just get used to it. But there for like the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, I was completely gobsmacked at just how incredibly slow this game was. Well, and as if that's a positive, right? The manual for this game actually says as a feature of, of this experience is that if you hold the start button, while things are loading, it doesn't pause the game. Instead, the screen goes black, and you get what they call laser balls, which is this swirl of balls that go around the middle of the screen, and you can turn the controller different directions, like, not turn the controller, push the different directions, and you'll make it move around. Uh, this serves no purpose, except that it says it's something fun to do during your load times. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what that was. I was like, if I, if I press this, like, does it make it go quicker? Like, but no, it's just these swirling balls and it's just, it, it's, it just keeps going. And I didn't know what it was. And yep. now that you read that, I'm kind of glad that I didn't know what it was I, because that's even worse. That is the biggest PR push I've ever heard for loading times and something to do. They might as well have said, why don't you bring a book with you? You can read that while it loads. Yeah. Like that would have yeah. been have a more, a more productive a use book, of time. Try, a, try, we recommend reconnecting with a family member. Yeah. Why don't you get a phone book and just call someone random? See what they're doing. Call. <laughs> Good God. Well, uh oh. Point points for the sheer nerve these folks had. Yeah, no, I, I was. That's a bold move to push uh, laser balls as a as a positive. Uh, so aside from the slow load times, which we had to cover first, because that really is, if you're gonna play this, the the thing you're gonna notice first to the point where. When you select dialogue, if you don't wait a second after hitting it, you can hit the button over and over again. You'll change the dialogue that your character says, and it won't move on until you wait probably a good three seconds after hitting that, after the, the dialogue is gone and not touched anything. So you really need to understand that this game is going to have you wait around, and you can't skip much. You can skip the intro, and after that, if it's a long section of dialogue that has to be played out, you got to listen to it. So if you can get past that, the game itself is a, a traditional style graphic adventure game. You play as Willie Beamish, and you are at the last day of school. The, the intro to the game is you're in an auditorium, the principal's on stage talking about you know the end of the year or whatever, and your pet frog, which is unfortunately named Horny, uh, jumps out of your backpack and jumps on the principal, and now you are in detention. So the game starts with you in detention, and trying to figure out, you know, how are you going to get home from school? And, and more importantly, how are you not going to get in more trouble for this? Because your parents are going to be very upset that you got detention on the last day of school. And the game just kind of drops you in. Like, that's where you start the game, sitting in detention. Now, 
you have to sit there and wait and listen while the the game loads up that the the, the teacher in there is going to give you a speech about why you're in detention and then the other kids in detention have some little jokes and stuff to say and they're funny the first time but you can never skip them you got to go through every one of them till eventually you get to the first real decision you get to make in the game which is you know y- your frog makes some noise and the teacher says what what was that and at that point you can say nothing and say like oh sorry that was my you know that was just that was nothing uh, or you can say, hey, this is my frog. Or you can say, oh, it's my stomach, I don't feel good. If you choose, which I did, which is the my stomach, I don't feel good, then the game sends you to the nurse's office. And you have a little interaction with the nurse's office. You could choose to say those other two things. And generally, this game does not, this game does not immediately fail, like a fail state, on many of these decisions. Uh, let, let me stop you just for, is this a kid's game? It is a kid's game. Well, it's not, and it is. It is a man. game. It is that a game nurse. designed for like a twelve-year-old, but yes, the nurse that you go to visit might be uh, cartoonishly large in certain specific areas. Yes, <laughs> that yeah, um, that that was odd because this struck me as like a uh, like purely a kids' game. Like the target audience is probably you know Willie Beamish age um, around there. I, I mean, would, which I guess would work. Uh, that would, I guess, probably would have dry, would have uh, would have pulled me in back then at the well, time. This is the this is the age of Roger Rabbit. This is the age of uh, Animaniacs. Hello, Nurse. That all makes sense. It's all there. Mm. Uh, that's it. If you can get if if you can ignore that or enjoy it, whatever your decision is. <laughs> if once you make the decision to go to the nurse, then you have a couple other options to say. She asks if this hurts, if that hurts, or whatever. And this is the first time I ran into an immediate fail state. I am not a big fan of immediate fail states in adventure games, even though mm-hmm. all those classic ones do it all the time. Uh, if, if you're talking to the nurse when she gets to the nurse's office and you tell her that whatever she's doing still really hurts really bad, she sends you to an actual hospital where you get cut up or something and you're, it's like the game ends because you're going to spend the entire summer in the hospital. Right? That's that's an immediate fail state. How fucking terrible. What an overreaction that is. It is. You figure you would have called your parents first, but instead they send you to the hospital and they cut you open to see what's wrong with your stomach. Uh, it's It's an immediate fail state and you have to go back to the very beginning of the game. Again, you can skip the assembly for the most part, but you have to sit through that entire first section of detention and get to the part where you can ask that you're seen to go to see the nurse. And then if that's even what you want to do, then you got to figure out the right thing to say. And if you make another mistake and you get another instant, you know, fail state, you got to go back to the very start of the game and do this again. And since you can't skip all these dialogue choices, that's like 15 minutes each time just to get to this first set of what things you can do. It's absolute. It's unforgivable. <laughs> I, I I could see if uh you know you you get the game over and, and uh, god damn be decent start us back like right there at that last decision you know or start your one or two decisions back so maybe you can start a different branch if you want to go another way uh, but yeah just and uh, we've already expressed uh, the speed or lack thereof with which this thing moves and the, you can't skip anything. It's painful. And I had that encounter, uh, with the nurse with getting sent off. And as soon as I saw myself sitting in that classroom, I, I think my heart dropped a little bit. This when when yeah, I did the same thing. Like that was my first fail state as well. It's like when you go get surgery and apparently Willie Beamish dies. And then like, it just, takes you back to that first screen and i just sat there and looked at it i was like are you serious like is it really did it just start over because i hadn't even thought about you know 
this is like just a, a little cute little Saturday morning cartoon game. You know, I didn't think that there were, was going to be anything too crazy that quick. And I, I wasn't even like, I didn't even look up how to save. I didn't even do anything like that. So like, yeah, I went through like 15 minutes of all that beginning and, and the preamble with the detention and stuff like that. And it was just, the game ended. It's like, holy shit. Well, all right, this is this kind of game. And that's when I officially started to do the scandalous number of save states that I did in this game. Like just about everything before, uh, it, like when you picked uh, an option, you know, to, to actually respond to someone with, that's when I would like just do a save state. Mm. Because if that's what this game is going to be like, yeah. if it's going to like instantly end, if I pick the wrong thing, then that's what I'm going to have to do. Because there is absolutely no way I'm going to sit here and and be put back who knows how long, you know, if I forget to save for, for whatever in the actual game itself, which you have to go into your um, your backpack or whatever. That's where you actually save the game. Yeah. So, but, you know, save states, much easier, much easier and faster to do because I can just load that shit instantly. I don't have to wait for anything. So, yes, I am not ashamed to say that I, I have probably close to 50 or more save states <laughs> for, what, for what I played. And they are, like... The RetroPie can only hold so many save states, and at some point it was like, you need to delete some of these. So <laughs> I, you got to stop. Yeah, it's just like you've you've gone too far. We need to get rid of some of these. And then and but, then it popped up a screen that said, "All this for fucking Willie Beamish? Yeah, really? Well, you just never know. Like that, you learned your oh, lesson no. the hard way with yeah. that nurse. I mean, you're like that's just there at the very beginning of the game, and you pick the wrong. I just picked it because I thought it was funny. Because yes. a lot of the other answers in the beginning of the detention was a funny answer. And I was just like, oh, whatever, you know, this shit's kind of funny to, to fuck around with and see what happens. And then the game ended. I was like, well, OK, I guess that's this kind of game then. And, and this kind of game is this is still the intro. What we're learning is this is how the game's going to operate. And this is just the intro. We have not gotten to what I would say is the actual start of many of the game mechanics that drive this game forward. We are in the introduction period where we have to go to detention. There's no way to not end up in detention. You're going to be there. That's where the game starts. And you, you can choose not to go to the nurse. You can say the right thing to not go to the nurse. Uh, there's no reason to go there, but you can. Uh, and then the second option you have to, to get out of detention early is to say you have to go to the bathroom. And you'll walk out into the hallway, and of course there's a janitor or somebody there, and they ask you for your hall pass, and of course you don't have one. So they send you to the principal's office. I don't know if you guys got to go to the principal's office. I certainly did in this game and in real life, but we'll just talk about the game. And in that in that game, he then brings up the fact that your frog stole his toupee uh, at, the, at, the, uh, at the assembly, and you need to give it back to him. And you can fully give it back to him and apologize, and you go right back to detention. Or you can make some funny, smart comments, and he calls your parents. And the end state of you going to military school comes up. <laughs> and I went to watch that little cinematic. And that was it. My game was over again. And now, now I've gone through the nurse section because I thought I had to do that. And I went out to try to go to the bathroom. And I talked to the principal. And I, so that was 20 minutes of real time that I had to go back through again. Because unlike you, Jeremy, I did not. And I'm not saying you, you did this in a way to, to say you did it wrong. Because apparently you did it 100% right. I did not use safe states for this. And yeah, I, didn't, I, I think Jeremy had the <laughs> I think he uh, he had the right idea. Well, I also couldn't figure out how to save in this. I knew it had to save because there was no way in hell they expect you to play through this 
start to finish with no saves. But because the start button isn't a menu, it's fucking laser balls, I couldn't figure out how to save this game until I realized, oh, after you go to the nurse, or if you decide not to go to the nurse, you can open your desk where you find, like, a pencil and a, and a crayon and a, a half-eaten sandwich and some other stuff that, that you can make a hall pass, which I, by the way, did not do. You can make a hall pass out of a wood block and a crayon, like, coloring on the wood block, and the guy will think it's your hall pass. Uh... You know, I didn't even know how to how to get to the backpack. And I was like, oh, well, there's the save button. Great. But I'd already spent, and I'm not kidding you, two hours of total time getting to the point yeah. where I realized how to even save in this game. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I spent I put time into this game. I, I actually <laughs> I was panicked because I was like, man, I'm not I don't have a lot of time this week. But I did. And the majority of that time. I would say the tutorial or the the intro or whatever is over when you get out of the school. Yes, um, yes. Once you get back to your house, the, the intro is ended. About, <laughs> legitimately about my first two, two and a half hours was spent in that fucking school. <laughs> and and you know, it was it was one of those things where I don't think I have put so much time into a game for this podcast and not had anything to show for it. Well, I will give it credit because I do like that there are several ways out of the intro. So you can yes. do it the right way, which is to make up your own fake hall pass, go to the bathroom. Uh, in the bathroom, you have to fight, not fight, but you get confronted by a bully and you can give him some stuff from your backpack and he lets you go. And then you can run home and get out of the school and get out of detention early. No problem there. You can also do what I did, which is go to the nurse and then go back to the class. And then go to the principal and apologize and go back to the class and dick around until your <laughs> until your detention ends and you get to go home and properly start what I consider to be the start of the game when Willie Beamish gets back to his house. Uh, I like that there are several ways to get through that, and that's not the first time. I guess that's the lesson you learn from the intro, other than that there are, in fact, fail states, is that there's also several solutions to get to further parts of the game. So you don't need to be exact. Like, there are so many of these adventure games where if I wouldn't have known to go to the nurse and come back to the class, and that starts an event that lets me go to the bathroom, and I have to admit a hall pass, and if I don't do all those things in exactly that order, I can't continue. I don't mind that necessarily, but normally they give you a lot more of an in-game clue as to what you're supposed to do. I like that this kind of lets you fumble your way through this game a little bit, and it changes the story slightly. Like, you might not have ever even seen, and I didn't in-game, seen the scene that's not awful. Seen the section where you have to confront the bully in the bathroom. I didn't see that till I watched a video of how are you supposed to get out of this first section of the game right, because I clearly am not, even though I finished it. I really do like that, and later in the game, they, they introduce another mechanic that we'll get into that kind of also helps you make some bad decisions but not completely fail the game out. Well, I mean, that's, that's good. Uh, but yes, I, I do really enjoy any game that allows you, like, multiple paths through this. A lot of this kind of uh, reminded me of one of those old choose-your-own-adventure books. Uh, I don't know if you guys are old enough to know what those were. I'm like, sure we know, are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, it's just these you know, these old books. It's like, you know, you read to this page, like, do you want to do this? Turn to page 37. Do you want to do this? Turn to page 78. And you, you know, you literally continue your story. And usually one of those is a, a bad a bad choice or something that sends you on, you know, the bad ending or whatever. But this was... You know, it definitely reminded me of that, of like just being able to be like, all right, I don't have to go through this. But then the next time that I play through it, uh, a section because I fucked up, 
then you know I could answer differently and, and get like mm. a totally different scene and that that is actually pretty cool but like it's it's still just it's it's that classic adventure game kind of thing and a lot of that stuff that I, I'm just not exactly into like I'm more into like the art style and just like the the characters and things like that I want to see the movie or not the movie I want to see the actual like story progress I want to see you know mm-hmm. these characters progress playing these <laughs> these kind of games maybe unless it's grim fandango or something like um what was, what was that game billy made me play through on sega cd mansion of hidden souls oh yeah you're welcome S- something like that but like this where it's just like there's multiples and multiples of multiples i'm just like that i don't know that's just never something that i've been super into well, and again i think this is this is kind of unique in that it does allow you to do so many different things that can get you through the game. But at the same time, there clearly is a correct path and there are still instant deaths. Like I've seen a lot of games where you can kind of do whatever you want and eventually you'll figure out the answer uh, and you can make some mistakes or, or games where, uh, you know, I mean, this is a totally different style of game, but and yeah, I just finished Shenmue three and that's one where you can make mistakes on like QTEs and it gives you that funny death animation or loss animation, not really death most of the time. And, and then it starts you right back at the beginning of it. You don't have to do the whole thing over again. This is, if you're not saving constantly, if you're not doing save states like what Jeremy was doing, which again is probably the right way to play this, you're going to do a lot of trial and error just to get to where you can even figure out what the story in fact is in this game. Because mm-hmm. it's not just getting out of school and it's not just getting home. Once you get home and there's a scene where you have to like have dinner and help your mom make dinner and do chores in your house and stuff, you, the, the actual story kind of shows up in the background. Your dad gets home from his job that he lost. He's lost his job. And so your mom's like, well, you better find a new job pretty quickly. And, and he's <laughs> going to have to find a job, obviously. Uh, the next uh, the next day, you see a scene on the television where there's a company called Toot Suite. And uh, th- what I liked about this game is there's all these kind of un- unskippable but really enjoyable little cutscenes. So like, if he's watching television, it cuts to the television. And there's these like goofy you know, TV commercials for things, not, not in the same vein as like how RoboCop had funny TV commercials, but in that same style, but for kids. Uh, And one is for this company, Toot Sweet. You don't even know what they do. It's like Toot Sweet and there's dudes on the beach making out or not making out. That's the wrong words. Dudes on the beach working out and like girls come by. It's like Toot Sweet. You don't know what it is. Well, they're like the, uh, like the big enterprise that runs this whole town, essentially the biggest business in town that keeps things moving. And you know, they, they also conveniently are trying to find a new PR manager, something your dad used to do for the previous job he had. So they, you know, hit, part of this story is getting your dad to work for Toot Sweet, but then in the in the, the cutscenes that happen and also some of the other things that you find out throughout the game, obviously something's not quite right at Toot Sweet, and you've got to help uh, solve some problems so that your dad is not blamed for a bunch of things that are not his fault uh and in that process you also want to do nothing all summer but play your nintari entertainment system and enter some video game nintari contest uh that that's kind of what i thought the story was i thought the story was almost like a the wizard style story which is about you trying to get to a video game championship but it's not it has nothing to do with that it's that's the backstory for what your motivations are for wanting to have a good summer but really the story is about this town, this company, Toot Sweet, kind of their dark plans in the background, and you trying to save your family from all these things. And it it took me, no joke, five to six hours of actual game time to even get to where I imagined that could be the story of this game. 
I, I, I didn't get like past day one. I got pretty far into day one. But is it just me or is like Willie Beamish like just the biggest asshole? Oh, he's like, he's he, <laughs> he's kind of like a Bart Simpson in that. Yeah. He, but but the difference is every time he does something that's that's like Bart Simpson edgy, he gets in trouble for it. Well, it's just like there's a lot of things that that he does where I'm just like, you know, this is just kind of mean. And mm. like, you know, Seaman Grandpa is there to kind of like help, <laughs> I guess. What? He looks like semen that just I'm appears. pretty sure he's supposed to be a ghost, but we'll semen call him Semen Grandpa, grandpa is, which gives me a lot of bad oh, memories. Okay, well, look, he's... Look, kids. Look, kids. It's Semen Grandpa. <laughs> well, he comes up and he appears randomly. I, he just... You know, the first time you see him is when you get home out after detention, and, like, he he pops up, and he's got, like, a little semen tail, and he just... That's just the first thing that, that reminded me. Because he doesn't look like a ghost. He looks like a cartoon just, ghost. I have a lot of questions, but we can save those for an after-podcast discussion why you thought he was semen <laughs> grandpa. Well, I mean, that's just that's just the first thing oh, that popped for some reason. But anyway, like, he's there, and, he, like, he's supposed to guide, like, Willie. Like, he's. it seems like he is the, the voice of reason for, for, uh, for him. <laughs> and, and so there's like this one part where like, he's in his sister's room and like he's he, you try to take uh your sister's diary and like you know semen grandpa pops up and he's like <laughs> he's like no that's probably not a good idea you know that would be bad you know don't take and the correct answer is like fuck you take it mm. and like that just comes off as like being kind of like a dick and well, but it's, it's just but it's there's not. a lot of see that's the thing is that he, you get the option to be the dickhead, the Bart Simpson character. But one of the mechanics they introduce, which maybe you didn't get far enough into, I thought it showed up in day one, but maybe it didn't show up until day two, is you have a uh, the trouble ometer. And the trouble ometer, yeah, as you are Oh yeah, okay. As you do things like steal your sister's diary or or not help your sister or not wash the car, all these things your family asks you to do, your trouble ometer goes down. And if you do the right thing, your trouble ometer can go up. So that allows you to make some mistakes because really the the ultimate fail in this game, which happens on the introduction just by, you know, insulting your principal, is you get sent off for the summer to military school. Mm-hmm. So if your trouble-o-meter ever gets all the way down, where like you've just made the, the worst decisions of your life, then then you will have to go to military school. So a lot of these little decisions that Seaman Grandpa is trying to help you avoid <laughs> are f- issues with your family that are going to get you into trouble and have to go to military school. So I, I liked that it did that. I liked that, that meter uh, that, that kind of let you learn from your mistakes and realize, okay, I'm supposed to be good. I have to try to do what I need to do so that my trouble-meter doesn't go down too low and, and in the game the story reason for that is your parents really are threatening to send you to like boarding school for the summer because you got a c on your report card i think this God, is the most damn. this is the actual part where i was kind of blown away he comes home with all a's and b's on his report card and he gets a c in something that was like theatrical studies it was something that wasn't even like a c in math or english you're like not was, even going to use that yeah a c in something that and, and he's a great he's in grade school this isn't like he came home from from his his junior or senior year when he's trying to get into this Ivy League school, he's he's coming home from fourth grade or whatever with with a one C. Oh, in music appreciation, I even wrote it down because I was blown away that this was a problem. A C in it's, music yeah. appreciation, and uh, and his parents flipped out that he got that one C and took away his Nintari Entertainment System for the summer until he could prove that he was worthy of getting it back. And so the first day, your goal in the game is to find ways 
to, to get your system back. So you want to do all the nicest things you can and also, in the background, try to trick your sister somehow in the bathroom. She's taking a shower or a bath. Uh, you're trying to trick her to get the key she left in the bathroom with her so that you can unlock your Nintari system and get to play Nintari to practice for the Nintari Championships, which, by the way, you do not actually find in the game. <laughs> The Nintendo. Oh. I mean, they're part of the story. They show up at the end, but it's not a. It's not the goal of the game. I thought the goal of the game up until this point was to to find a way to get to the Nintendo Championships, and this would be my goal for the summer. Because one of the side, one of the the other things that drives you is you need money to enter the Nintendo Championships. And now that your dad's lost his job, they're not going to give you the money to enter a video game championship. So you find on television that there's a frog jumping contest. And thankfully, you have a frog named Horny that you're going to go out and try to win a frog jumping contest, which, by the way, is run by Tootsuite, the company your dad is also applying for a job for. It all ties together, much like in a Saturday afternoon <laughs> cartoon. The I, I, I can't feel too bad for, for Willie, honestly, because, like, Maybe if he was like, you know, this this poor youth that didn't have too much, but this kid lives in a mansion. <laughs> That's a nice fucking house. Yeah, like just this like kid. It, it, I, and I think I sent. I think I said the exact same thing uh, to Jeremy P. I think I said I can't feel bad for this. I, fuck, this kid has got problems. I think fucking he needs to just listen to Seaman Grandpa. <laughs> be a good kid fly right for a little bit obviously i that's the thing i don't think there's any redeeming <laughs> qualities to this kid uh, and you know granted even though i've played many an hour i haven't gotten far um but i don't know if he he shows like a redeeming side to him or not um i, I don't know if this one was made to just appeal to a very you know young audience that would think it's you know, it's cool that this kid's a, a fucking asshole. Um, but to me, I guess older, um, it's like, oh, fuck this kid. Yeah, no, he, he definitely is kind of a spoiled kid that uh, that that has a, a, a smart mouth, and and he will use it if you let him, but thankfully he has semen grandpa to guide him. Um, <laughs> now, there's a, I have a couple things, because really the rest of the game is is trying to figure out kind of how to get money to do this, this video game championship. But meanwhile, you're trying to to stop this company from framing your dad for something that's not his fault and, and therefore ruining your family's life, right? But there's no fun in, one, playing this for most of the game, but also explaining this step <laughs> by step. I don't, we don't normally do that, and we're already hitting you know, a good 30 minutes of talking about this game. So if you like what we've talked about so far, the rest of the game is, is the same. You have to kind of, hmm, sorry, burped. You have to kind of fumble around, figure out how to get to the next scene. A lot of it is, is not really... It's not, like, uh, completely out of the ordinary. Like, it's none of these puzzles are going to blow your mind with, like, oh, I didn't realize that's what I was supposed to do. But a lot of the time, it's just fumbling around until you find the obvious thing that's going to move the game forward, right? So it's a lot of pointing and clicking. And, again, every time you click on something, instead of just giving you a text blurb that says what you're, you're clicking on or highlighting a TV and it has TV in a bubble, a guy comes up and gives you a narrative ex explanation of what you're looking at. Like, this is a television bought in 1952. Somehow they still use it in 1994. Like, it's like, oh, my God, please, just just move on. But you have to listen to these each time. Um, if you've got... Did anyone else think... I'm sorry. Did anyone else think it was really weird that it was actually a narrator instead of, like, Willie saying this yes. stuff? I yes. was glad it, it wasn't really Willie. strange. I was glad it wasn't Willie. Uh, it sounded more like the, you know, the 
don't know if you played the runner games, but uh, but the narrator the narrator for the runner games where it's that kind of like super cheesy television voice. I, I didn't mind it. It was fine. I would have been more annoyed if it was Willie explaining everything in his house to me over and over again. I would have just been mad because I found his voice to be very obnoxious. It's whiny-ish, uh, but that also is because I probably have children about the same age as Billy, as Willie, and I don't like hearing them either. Um, there's, <laughs> there is, if on the Sega CD version, which is the one we all played, now I'm assuming none of us did this, because I couldn't figure out how to do it to look to play a, uh, an actual walkthrough. If you can get the key from your sister in the bathroom before the end of night one, because night one ends essentially after you have dinner with your family, you fumble around for a while until a time limit hits and the game's like, it's time to go to bed, Willie. And again, you can choose not to go to bed, but that's going to make your troublemeter go higher in the morning. Uh, you can just go to bed and it starts day two. There's only four days total, so it's not like we're talking about day two of a game that goes to day 20. We're, we're on about halfway through the game in day two, which is where we all kind of stopped this discussion. Um, at the end of day one, if you can get the key from your sister and unlock your Nintari, it has like an actual game you can play. Uh, the game is called Super Space Kanoidrix, and it is kind of this weird mashup of, uh, of Arkanoid, Space Invaders, and I'm guessing the Trix is like a, a, a Tetris or something, but basically these blocks fall down from the ceiling in different shapes, I guess like Tetris, but then in order to stop them, you're shooting at different angles from the bottom of the screen and a little box like a uh, Space Invader, um tank from space invaders but if you hit the blocks at a certain point they become those those drops that fall down from arkanoid that change what your bar looks like so it's kind of this weird mashup of the three games it is not that enjoyable looking i did not get to play it because i did not figure out how to get the key but uh i, I just made it to day two because i i wasted enough time your mom's like go to bed you're obviously not going to figure this out do you do you think it's more fun to play than laser balls i i actually think that it is more fun to play than laser balls but uh i didn't get a chance to try it so i didn't know if e either of you got a chance to try it or if you're out there listening and you played willie beamish on the mac or pc this is what you missed out on maybe there was worse load times here but you didn't get to play super space canoid tricks yeah or late you, you're already missing out on laser balls <laughs> yeah I'm guessing you also didn't get to see Sega Rules on the inside of his, his school desk. Oh, I did. I did see Sega Rules, but I guarantee that no, was I mean, not in the other versions. Yeah, yes. I was going to say, like, other versions. I, You know, I didn't get, actually get to see that, but there was just... All, like you were talking about, there's always these different ways that you can take through this game, and it's not constantly, you know, it's not torturing you with, with the wrong thing. But, like, it teaches you so early in the game with that uh, nurse's office that you can make the wrong decision and the game is over instantly. Yes. And I think that's one thing that actually scared me for the rest is from like trying different things and, and why I had so many different save states was because that's what I was afraid of. That's what the game taught me straight away. It's like, if you pick the wrong thing, this game's over. And it doesn't seem like most of the game is like that. It isn't, but, but at the same time, it doesn't also direct you too often. It doesn't tell you really what to do. Um, you know, I wish there was some sort of, I mean, I didn't, I don't want a giant glowing arrow that says what to do, but sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need the game to kind of say, okay, it's been 15 minutes or you've tried 20 things and nothing's working. Let's give you a clue. And you have a built-in guide. You have Seaman Grandpa here. He could have popped up and said, perhaps this isn't the time to be in this room. Maybe you should go outside and see if you can help your dad outside. Or whatever it is you need to do to drive the story forward. And that doesn't really happen. It's a lot of, of trying everything. And again, because you're trying to keep your trouble meter down. Day two for me was 
uh, feeding pets, walking the dog, washing my dad's car. Uh, I helped. I helped. Uh, you know, try to convince him to, to apply for this job with with Toot Sweet. Like it was all these like. I'm sure I'm pushing the story forward, but man, it's taken a long time to get there. And because I was only using the actual game save and not a save state, you can only do that when you're able to really open up your backpack. And if you're on a series of text choices, or if you're on a section where it's going to load from place to place to place, there is no backpack to open, and you can't save. And so the, my time was spent easily uh, replaying the same... I, if I knew what I was doing, if I wrote down the, the steps that got me to the farthest point in this game and made no mistakes, I'm probably if I'm lucky, two hours into this game. But I spent easily almost 20 hours to see that two hours of game. So what I'm saying is if you, if you like games like, like uh, graphic adventure games, you know, we had talked about Grim Fandango on a previous episode. We've talked about Maniac Mansion without covering it as a game that's a highly regarded version of this sort of game. I recommend playing those. This is not the best way to play a graphic adventure uh, at all. It, it's an interesting game. I like that the character is not just, you know, a, a prince that's trying to regain the crown or or something else. Like, like there's there's a lot to like here. It does look pretty. It sounds good. I mean, unfortunately, you can't skip those sounds, but it sounds fine. But, man, the slowness and the fact that it doesn't really tell you what to do is, is a major drawback. Yeah, and I, I can't say if I would have found this as a kid, I, I would have loved the style of it. Because once again, to echo what Jeremy said at the beginning, it is a it's a Saturday morning cartoon brought to life. Um, and presentation wise, I mean, it looks great. Uh, it sounds great. Uh, yeah, Willie Beamish, the the voice actor, uh, leaves a bit to be desired. Uh, but yeah, it just mm, it moves at a pace um, that. I that really toes that line of me not being able to really tolerate it for a long stretch of time. And yeah, I, I God, I don't know why I didn't go through and save state the hell out of it because that is a such an annoyance um, that that kind of ruins it doesn't ruin it. I mean, I, I would probably go through and play it again if I'm, you know, just kind of wistfully wanting to play through some Sega CD games. Uh, but definitely, uh, it, it does detract a lot from it. And it, it's weird, because uh, I don't think we've had one quite like that, where loading times have played such a gigantic hand in kind of my, my feelings on a game. Uh, we've dealt with, I mean, we're doing old games for fuck's sake, we're going to have some loading times in there. Uh, but this one is just a, a cut above. And it, it almost, you know, ruins what is otherwise a game that's uh, presented pretty well. And, and I, I really like the art style of this game. Mm. Anything that looks like this just takes me back to a, a certain place in time. And even the voices, I know you guys hate his voice, but goddamn, it is just the perfect, like, Saturday morning cartoon from mm. the early 90s. You know, I'm Willie Beamish. This sucks. <laughs> I like my frog horny. And like, that's just like, that's just the fucking voice that I would expect to come out of this kid. Just, you know, this cheap kind of they paid the voice actor for 100 bucks. And there you go. Mm. Everything about this just reminds me of those Saturday morning, like cartoon specials. Like they would just mm. be like a little movie that would play for like an hour or something like its own contained storyline, it would play mm. once and then you'd never see it again or something. But yeah, it's, it's just, it really comes off like that. But it, it's just that loading 
and I'm sure maybe the PC version is is much better. I don't know if this is out, you know, on something like GOG or whatever to where you could actually play it and not have to deal with the loading time that that is the Sega CD. So maybe there that that might be a the preferred way to play this. I don't think it's been remastered or remade as far as I know of. But yeah, going back and playing this as it is, it is just the technology and that that Sega CD fucking <laughs> 1x read is so so detrimental to being able to make it through this game that it's Mm-mm. it's really hard to play it now well and if it was a saturday morning cartoon that got pulled i guarantee it was semen grandpa that caused that <laughs> you know he's a good guy all right there was one point where i thought he was real like they were just like locking him in the attic yes the first... <laughs> i went to the attic with the oh, trains yeah. i thought, I he, thought was, he was, just was like... real Put his ass up there and is like, don't you come down here, Grandpa. Don't you dare come downstairs. You sit up there with your fucking trains. But then he vanished. And it's just, it, it's such a weird thing because, like, when he's introduced, he's just introduced as a character. Like, he just comes up and Willie's just like, yeah, Seaman Grandpa, what's up? You know, and, and Seaman Grandpa's like, <laughs> and that's, that's basically what he does. You know, he's there to, he's been Kenobiing you basically through the game. Mm-hmm. But he's treated like, just like, you know, there's no real backstory at first at all for him that he's, you know, why is he even there? Who is he? Why does he look like semen? Like, there's just a lot of things that, that that doesn't, that isn't answered immediately about him. And that, and then when I saw him up in the attic, I was like, oh, they're just keeping him in the attic because he's an old man. But no, he's, he's actually dead or something. Man, at Star Wars would have much better if it was regular Obi-Wan Kenobi and then semen Ben Kenobi. I would have been down with that. Mm-hmm. Cables and grits. Cables and grits. I'm gonna get me some cables and grits. As we mentioned at the beginning of the show, this was a patron request, and this came to us from Celeste. So, Celeste, we have a few questions for you. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. I- I'm assuming this is a game you had played uh, when it was new, or at least more recently. Did you? Is this one that you, you were a huge fan of when it was new, and did you play this on the Sega CD or on the computer? I played it on Sega CD. My cousin's had the Sega Genesis combined with the Sega CD and they had Willie Beamish. And whenever we would go to visit, I would play it with them. And I, I remember it being really slow, but <laughs> it, <laughs> it fascinated me that there was a kid because I was born in the late 80s. So around the time Willie Beamish came out, I was a child and I wasn't used to seeing other children in video games. And he fit that stereotypical 90s Bart Simpson kind of attitude that was really endearing to me with the skateboard and everything. Yeah, he's definitely got a lot of that 90s, you know, cartoony, uh, tough kid character to him, which is something I liked as well. Uh, Is this the first of these type of games you had played? Yes. Is it considered a, I don't know, virtual novel? I'm not sure what the... Correct. I mean, I, I, I would assume. I mean, this seems like it's kind of a point and click. I would, I would probably classify it as. Yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. the technical term they use was graphic adventures, because uh, it would be the same oh. they use for like the Sierra games and most of the Monkey Island uh, Scum Engine games would, would be considered mm-hmm. graphic adventures. So that that's what this plays like. It's just it definitely got some. I want to say enhancements. Uh, in 1993, these were enhancements uh, for CD, where it is. It definitely felt a little slow at times, uh, and that's an understatement. But also, it definitely used all the abilities of the CD to have everyone talked. Everything had a a talking little 
you know, blurb about why you clicked on it, what it could be, which is endearing, but is also, it, it slows the game down immensely. Even back then, I, I found it really slow compared to the other video games I was used to playing. Oh yeah, compared to non-graphic adventures, this game is is painfully slow. But even if you had played, I don't know if you've played since then, um, any of the, the early Sierra Quest games, King's Quest or Space Quest or Quest for Glory, or any of those Monkey Island games, or, or we did Grim Fandango, I don't know if you played any yes. of those games that are more, inv- more modern versions of what this game tried to do, uh, and does not have that speed issue. Oh no, I haven't played those. I've watched Let's Plays and I've listened to your reviews of them, but that's that's probably the only Sierra game I recall playing. Well, and, and it's a later one too. I mean, they, they they still did these kind of games, but there's a, a point in time, and it's basically when the CD format became the standard, where in some ways their games were, uh, I don't want to say dumbed down. Instead of having to type commands or be extremely explicit with what you were clicking and dragging to, like you had to in the Scum Engine games, you had to actually click mm-hmm. like open and click the item. If you just click it, nothing would happen. This game uses that active interface where if you can do something with it when you move your cursor over it, it changes to, you know, a, a, a use button or a pickup button or the little uh, micro, ma- magnifying glass. Like, that's all stuff that's kind of, at this time frame, was a new way to do these games. So it was, it was supposed to be more intuitive, I think. But I, I think it made it more difficult for someone who was used to having a very cut and dry, like, if this is something you can use, it's super highlighted. And if it's something you can do, you need to type in a command to do it, and it'll tell you flat out, like, you can't do that or this isn't important. Um, where this was, I really had to, to kind of really explore each corner of those screens to see what I was supposed to find in each room. Yeah, that it definitely is good for people who don't mind exploring every nook and cranny, mm-hmm. but I could absolutely see how it would become very irritating for players. Now, you said you, you played this game, you know, a bunch as a kid. Did you finish this game? No, and that was... It was <laughs> It was very elusive. The ending was very elusive (laughs) for us because, you know, we were visiting our cousins and eventually the adults would say, okay, well, we're going to do whatever we had come to do. So we didn't have hours upon hours to Mm. dedicate to the game. But I remember my cousins, and I don't know if they were lying, they said they got to the babysitter part. So there, and. <laughs> there are multiple paths through this game. I mean, they all kind of funnel you in the same direction, but there are multiple ways to solve these puzzles, uh, which is good. Uh, it's not completely mm-hmm. open-ended. You can't go crazy with your, your designs, but there's things you can make a mistake on, and because of that trouble-o-meter uh, in the game, it allows you to kind of make some mistakes. Some things are still, unfortunately, immediate game-enders, uh, but, but there's a lot of things where you make the mistake and you can see, oh, that was the wrong thing to do because my trouble meter went down, but you can still continue on with the game. Um, none of us finished this game for the purpose no. of this podcast. <laughs> we, we put a lot of effort in, but it is, it is a long enough game with a slow enough interface that to go back if you make a mistake is very, very time-consuming. And yeah, uh, the the speed of it, I think, really, <laughs> I keep coming back to, I was kind of blown away, and I am the probably the official on the podcast Sega CD uh, defender uh, if, if no one else I, I am all about that that little add-on and absolutely love it um, but yeah I, I, this thing was running even for the Sega CD um, this thing was running a tad slower than most things I was used to and, and I found for myself personally um, I can't, you know it kind of it kind of took me out of it a little bit here and there and, and I spent a lot of time wondering if childhood me, uh, with the attention span I had then, 
would have been able to handle it. I, I, I don't know. The, the slowness really did annoy us, even as kids. And, oh, gosh, like you were saying with the troublemeter, it, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. I, I think we did have him sent to boot camp at one time, <laughs> and I felt really bad about it. <laughs> but I, I felt like the end of end of the school year detention he had, I felt like that part lasted forever. Mm-hmm. Did you guys feel that way too? It did. And that's one of the the areas where you can really experiment with how many ways can I get through this? Like there's, there's several ways you can go to that where you actually don't even go to the principal ever. Uh, I did not do that without looking up how to do it. Um, I I would get sent to the principal every time. And if you say the wrong thing at the principal's office, then you can also get sent to boot camp. Uh, Mm -hmm. I said the wrong thing to the nurse and I got sent to a, like some sort of hospital facility that they cut me open. Uh, there was lots of things from the very beginning where I was like, man, I'm losing immediately at this. And I'm normally okay mm-hmm. at these kind of games, but it was it was more the once you make that mistake, going back through everything. And you can't skip all that speech. So all the part in the mm-hmm. class where the teacher's like giving you the detention speech and telling you, you know, talking to the other kids about how they're in trouble and it loads each time they talk. You have to go through that each time. So there there was definitely a point where I was like, I don't care how badly my I'm going at this. I'm going to keep going till I end up in boot camp because I'm not going to redo these because <laughs> my trouble meter went down because I forgot to feed the dog or whatever the situation was. Yeah. Now playing this as a kid, did it did it leave you with a fear of being sent off to boot camp yourself at some point? A little bit. That was a common theme in cartoons at that time. And I just felt like it was almost inevitable. It was kind of like that legendary, this is going on your permanent record if you step Mm. out of line. But I did, I did relate to Willie a little bit because I have two younger siblings and they annoyed me at that time period (laughs) because we were kids. And I, I liked seeing his annoyance with his younger sister, but I think I was a little scared that if I were mean to my sisters, I was going to be sent off to boot camp. <laughs> yeah, the triggers would send them off to boot camp, especially because it, it, it's it's a you know kind of a a buildup over time of of things you've done wrong. Sometimes it seems like it's a little extreme to have sent you to boot camp because you forgot to wash the car or whatever yeah, I, whatever the thing. I, you I, I, I think his parents were. I think they were right there on the fence to begin with, and it was just kind of <laughs> one of those last straw situations. Did So was this the first time you guys had played the game? Yes, I'd never played this before. I, I enjoy when we get picks from people where it's games none of us have played, and none mm-hmm. of us had played this. I'd played many games like this, so I, I knew what to expect to a level, but not not the amount of, of speech that was required to listen to to play this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I hope it wasn't too bad of an experience <laughs> no not at all I, again i even the games that are are not as enjoyable as others if it's something none of us have played i i actually like those games the most on your marks get set that's our thoughts on Willie Beamish, uh, The Adventures of Willie Beamish for the Sega CD. Uh, not one we recommend necessarily in 2020, but I can see why someone recommended it, and we hope that Celeste was not disappointed with our experience playing it. Uh, but if so, we do apologize, and if you have a game that you want us to cover that is maybe not, not a game we would have thought of otherwise, the easiest way to do that, to guarantee we cover it, is to join our Patreon, which is always linked in the comments of the podcast, but is also on all our social media sites, or you can go directly to retrovania.net 
And there, along with links to all those social media sites, links to all of our videos on YouTube, links to any written articles we've done, there's also at the very bottom a question form that you can fill mm. out and send questions to us that we will answer on the show like we're going to do right now. Yeah, and we've actually got a load of questions. Not quite the load that Seaman Grandpa would, would <laughs> throw out <Yeah>. there. <laughs> uh, Seaman Grandpa may well, be coming back this year. I think it may be the, <laughs> 2020, the year of Seaman Grandpa. But yeah, we've we've got a few emails here, and the first one we're gonna we're gonna ugh, first one we're gonna go with here is from Jack Bro, and he's wanting to know about Halloween. Hey guys, since October is creeping up, I was thinking of a scary game to replay. Mm. If I remember correctly, you guys have mentioned it's been a struggle to come up with new games to play for October, and you recently added PS2 games to your selection, and it got me thinking about Maximo. The original and the sequel, Army of Zen, were great, but difficult 3D platformers in the fashion of Ghosts and Goblins. Just wanted to put that out there for you guys, and thanks for, and thanks for the good times from week to week. I like Maximo. I played the first one all the way through. I had the second one and never finished it at the time, because I tried to play them back-to-back, and that's a lot to, to do, especially when you're trying to play a bunch of other games. But Maximo's not a bad game. I would consider doing that. I do believe this year for our October we're already booked fully, but uh, that's definitely one I'd like to cover again in the future sometime, as long as you guys are interested in the same. Yeah, I am not familiar with it at all, but, you know, anything... Uh, anything to bolster the old Halloween lineup, uh, I think is definitely worth looking into. I absolutely love the first Maximo. I never played the sequel. And I really don't think that we need to just like throw it out there for Halloween. I think that's something that we could do whenever. It's definitely kind of got the spooky, you know, Ghosts and Goblins theme to mm. it. But yeah, that's that's something that we could throw out any time. And I think that's that's a great PS2 game. Uh, to do because it is uh, one of the better follow-ups to, you know, modern follow-ups to something like Ghosts and Goblins that really no one knows about. There's not too many people that even knows that it exists, and it's a shame because it's it's such a great game. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Jack Bro, and, and recommending that game. And we're going to move on to Late to Gaming, and he's wanting to write in about Louisville. Sorry, Louisville. No one, this is actually, I, I've got two questions here that, that are about the previous episode for, from Tony Hawk, where I mentioned that people outside Louisville doesn't actually say the name properly. <laughs> so I have two questions here that I received almost immediately after that show, mm. both from both people from Louisville, apparently. So here, here is, uh, this is late to gaming and he is writing in on, uh, how he thinks that, that the name should be said. No one says Louisville. I've lived in Kentucky my entire life, and everyone I know pronounces it the same as you guys. I thought the only people who pronounce it as Louisville were from other parts of the country and just didn't know how locals pronounce it. Mm. So that's one side of it. And the next one comes in from Pat in Louisville. And uh, he says to keep the Louie in Louisville. And he says, hey, my fellow podcast peeps, I never write into these things, but the talk of how to pronounce the city of Louisville's name in the Tony Hawk episode has finally pushed me to do so. To put it bluntly, yes, the proper way to say it is Louisville and not the more common Louisville that so many people in this city continue <laughs> to say. In fact, one of my very first things I was trained on when I started my job at a marketing firm for the city was, to, was how to properly pronunciate the city of Louisville due to the incorrect pronunciation being so prevalent. Mm. So please, I beg of you, stop spreading the incorrect name of this fine city around. Oh, and thanks for the fine podcast as well. 
So yes, I I don't care. But either way, you know, I've always been like, I'm just kind of lazy with how I say Louisville. And that's just how I say it. But I I can totally see that it is is Louisville. So now you now Billy and Jeremy, you both know the proper way and both the lazy and the lazy way to to pronounce well, Louisville. So I have I have a statement to make, and that is that while I did not say that city, and I'm not going to continue because I'm sure I'm going to say it wrong for someone, uh, our our, uh, mispronunciation of Lara Croft has continued to get some notes, uh, including I I have a comment on the, uh, shoot, where's the comments? Is it Tomb Raider or Tony Hawk? One of them directly on our feed at Podbean gave us a comment that they really enjoyed the episode, but wished that we would stop saying Laura for the rest of time. So again, I apologize for, for Laura Croft saying it incorrectly. And, and however you're supposed to say the city we just heard about in those last two questions, I will never say it again. I'm waiting for the day that we get a listener question from, from Laura from Louisville coming in. Uh, That'll just blow us apart. I wonder what to do. End of the last, last last episode of the podcast right there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, we'll try to remember how to pronounce these things, uh, but you know, for the most part, I think we're just lazy and we say things how we've said it for most of our lives, and I think that's how most people work. Anyway, thanks for both of you writing in. I appreciate the uh, the the uh, I appreciate the tutorial. Anyway, our next email comes in from Mark, and he's writing in about Sunset Riders, which was our actual our last bonus show, I believe. I love that you guys covered Sunset Riders on the Super NES, one of my childhood favorites for a bonus show. The the review was great, but it leaves me with one question. In the review, Jeremy P. referred to all four playable characters as just being a different skin, but playing the exact same. Did he completely miss that there are two different weapon types depending on which character you choose, a handgun or a shotgun? Or was it just an oversight to mention it in the podcast? All four move the same, but the two gun types can change the strategy of how you play certain parts. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Jeremy, it's time to quit the podcast. It is. I did. I made a mistake. I've made several uh, in my life, (laughs) and this is now number four. Uh, No, but so this is is a problem I run into when I try to play every version of a game when I've never played it before. So I'd never played Sunset Riders. I played the arcade version, and I did play the Genesis version some, and then I played the Super Nintendo version. And my handwriting and my notes are not great. And so therefore, uh, I did have, I did realize that there is... uh, you know, some of the characters have pistols, some of the characters have shotguns, but I thought that was only in the arcade. I was not aware that the Super Nintendo mm, version mm. did the same because I essentially just picked the guy with the green vest because I enjoyed the green vest. And <laughs> and so in trying to play three different versions of a game where the Genesis one is honestly a completely different game, uh, I did miss that even on the Super Nintendo version, all four characters are not exactly the same, even though that is 100% what I said. So, yes, it was a mistake. It was an oversight. Uh, but I don't think it was a mistake that I... Uh, it was a mistake tied to entirely bad note-taking and and playing all of these things at once, and they kind of blend together. So my mistake, you are 100% right. If you've played the arcade or the Super Nintendo version, there are both two different kinds of characters, pistol characters and shotgun characters, and yes, it does change how the game plays. This is what I happens when, you, when, you're too, when you're too focused on fashion in video games. Well, Mistakes right. happen. Look, I like green. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for correcting us, Mark. And our next email comes from Jonathan C., and he wants to know about Mario. 
Clearly, Nintendo helped save the video game industry in the U.S. More specifically, would you agree that Mario saved the industry? Or do you think that some other Nintendo character slash game or something from Sega would have done it if Mario had not been there? Uh, I don't think anything on the fucking Master System would have done it because their flagship was Alex Kidd. And let me tell you, um, God almighty. That he's not fit to hold fucking anything. Um, no, I, I, Master System, which would have been the other, you know, console out around that same time, uh, did not have anything that really, it had some decent games. It didn't have anything that stood out to me. Uh, for Nintendo, I don't know, because, I mean, no one is talking about fucking Gyromite nowadays, or, you know, Duck Hunt is, is, you know, kind of kind of beloved, and that has a following, but I, I don't think it would have revolutionized things either. Um, God, I'd like to say Zelda could still do it, but I, I don't think uh, Legend of Zelda was quite as accessible as maybe Super Mario Brothers was. Um, I don't know. I, I think Mario was just the, the perfect character and, you know, the perfect type of game, and, and just at the right time... And if he wasn't around then, I I don't really know what would have what would have pulled things around. I can't think of any other early Nintendo offerings that would have had uh, quite the same quite the same appeal. And certainly, I don't think there was anything on the Sega end that that was going to come through at that point in time. Billy, I think you're forgetting about the other powerhouse of that genre of that uh, generation, huh? The 7800. I think you're forgetting about the 7800. <laughs> oh, um, but but aside from that, uh, I I mean I was alive during that that time frame and was heavily into video games. Like I was very excited because uh, I didn't understand as a kid that the entire market had collapsed. I just thought mm -hmm. everyone was selling Atari games at yard sales for 50 cents, and I was extremely excited to get a mm -hmm. whole bunch of 2600 games and and even in television games for for literally pennies. I mean we would go to uh, Toys R Us and they would have all these wrapped in television games for nothing. I mean, we, we bought them for 20 bucks, which at the time, you know, when you're just paying 40, 50 bucks for a game, you're like 20 bucks. That's unbelievable. And so we, we got a bunch of games towards the end there. I didn't realize it was that the entire market had collapsed to the level. I understand, you know, as an adult, but when the Nintendo came out, even before Super Mario Brothers, because again, that was not a launch title. It came out very soon afterwards and it might as well as been, but it wasn't. And so I had played the Nintendo before Super Mario Brothers. Uh, I mean, I remember Kung Fu being a game we kept going back to because it was mind-blowing that could be done on a console. We played a lot of Duck Hunt. We played Gyromite. We played, uh, like, Slalom. A lot of those early, like, black box Nintendo games. And they were great. But but I have to agree, though, Super Mario Brothers changed, uh, I mean, almost everything. It was like the moment we played it, we were all blown away with how big it was, how much you could do. How, how I mean, even though that little character didn't talk or didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot that would give it character, it still felt like this is the, the, the coolest video game character I've ever seen. And yes, Zelda was amazing. And, and for me, that was a more important game into the kind of games I've grown to love as, a, as an adult than, than Mario was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and Metroid and, and even Kid Icarus, all those were in that same, like, two-year window. But Super Mario Brothers was not just... A, a game changer because it did a lot, but it also appealed to everybody. Like anyone that played video games at all could pick up Super Mario Brothers, and maybe you sucked at first, but it was still like, I get what I'm supposed to do. It's a simple game, 
but it it just got you and it and it expanded on what you thought video games could do. So I would agree that Mario, specifically Super Mario Brothers, really did kind of rescue that market and rebuild it again here. But it, it's hard to say if another game would have done so because again, I think Zelda and Metroid and and Kid Icarus and and a ton of these early Nintendo games are amazing. But would they have even had the market to to be seen in without Super Mario Brothers? And I don't think it would have. It's it's hard to say. Like I mean, if it's it's really hard to think of a world where just you know Nintendo the NES was released and Mario did, was not there because it was just it was so prevalent. You know that was the thing that was with your with your NES. You know it, it was the pack in for most of the things. I didn't actually get it as a pack in. I personally wasn't that big of a fan of the original Mario. Like my my love for Mario didn't really start until Super Mario Brothers three. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Everything else around in, in that launch lineup of like Castlevania and, and stuff like that was what appealed to me. Like just having Mario, like that was that was cool that it was free and with a pack in. But like otherwise, like that wasn't like a must own game. But uh, game. But I could see as far as like the mainstream audience, like that was a huge thing. Like people fucking loved Mario. Yeah, it's, so it's I, the Pac-Man of the Nintendo. Yeah, like, everybody wanted to play Mario. And, like, it, the the one time that we finally did get Mario from, like, you know, the, the video store or something, like, everybody in the house wanted to play Mario. And I was like, I, I don't want to play this. You know, we've got better games. Castlevania is way better than this. But, like, it was just one of those mainstream kind of games where everyone wanted to play that game. It, it, yeah, so I, I think... You know, it, it wouldn't have been as big. I think, you know, video games would have survived. But there was just that it was one of those certain things that it was like perfect time, perfect moment, perfect game, mainstream appeal, and the NES just hitting when it did that it just captured everyone. Like everybody wanted that thing. Everybody wanted to play Mario on the NES. So I, yeah, it's hard to say. It's it, like I said, it's hard to imagine without it, but I'm sure video games would have carried on. But to imagine a video game world where Mario doesn't exist is damn near impossible. Wouldn't it be amazing if the game everyone now was like, this is the best game ever was Clue Clue Land. Like, that's the game everyone remembered <laughs> from Nintendo. I dream of that day every single time I get up mm. in the morning. But it hasn't happened yet. Dude, if it wasn't for Wild Gunman, I'd never play video games. Right. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for writing in, Jonathan. Uh, we will continue to have an existential, existential crisis over this. Anyway, our final email comes in from Randall. And he wants to know about traumatic childhood gaming moments. Glad he said gaming, or this would be a long podcast. <laughs> yes, no, we're just going with gaming. We ain't got a whole, like, you know, four-hour podcast to talk but about maybe childhood maybe we'd find out the origins, moments. the true origins of semen grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he writes in to say, this may be a weird question, but have any of you ever had a traumatic event in your life that correlated with gaming, with gaming somehow? I can only offer my own story as an example. When I was still in elementary school, I had just received my very own Game Boy Color and cannot put the thing down for even a minute because I was so damn excited to finally have a portable system. Most mornings, I'd stand at the bus stop and play until the bus finally came and then blindly get in and eventually fall into a seat somewhere. This eventually... This usually worked great until the morning that the bus driver decided to take off while I was still standing in the aisle trying to finish up my round of Yu-Gi-Oh!, which knocked me forward face first into the exit door at the back of the bus, nearly knocking me out in the process. 
it ended up knocking out a baby tooth and also fracturing my cheekbone. To this day, it's still the only time I have ever been seriously injured in any way. If any of you have ever had any similar stories, I'd love to hear them. And if not, thanks for letting me vent about the time that I was nearly killed over a Game Boy Color Yu-Gi-Oh! game. Man, I wish I had something to contribute to this. I, I, I think through all of my video game exploits over the years, I have remained injury-free. Um, usually I'm sitting... Uh, even my handheld games, I'm usually, um, you know, as a kid, I was either sitting in the back of the car or sitting down at home. I, I was never really out and about, you know, like in the fucking ads where the guy's got, you know, he's laying down in the fucking park on the ground and he's got his fucking Game Boy up over his head. That was never me. I, I never ventured out of the house uh, with them that often. So I, I have not inflicted. Uh, besides, a, you know, like an occasional sore thumb or wrist, I have not inflicted much bodily damage on myself uh, while video game playing. Yeah, I never hurt myself like that. Uh, I, I thought this was going to be more a story like you get to the last level of you know Castlevania and then someone tripped on the cord and then the NES starts resetting on and off and you lost all your progress. That, that happened to me. Uh, I'd say that the biggest uh, in a different way. Was I scarred by video games? Certainly. Uh, when Castlevania Two came out, we we rented it, and I somehow beat it. Now, I did not call the Nintendo tip line. We somehow, mm. mum, you know, fumbled through the game, and and that part where you're supposed to kneel in front of a cliff, like just angrily, you get mad about a game. So I started just jumping around. I was in the right right screen, and I I leaned up against the cliff and ducked, and bam, you know that that. Uh, that tornado comes and picks you up or whatever. And I got through the game like after that. So I beat it in that, that weekend. And it was literally like after it first came out. And I, I went to school and told my friends. And they branded me a liar for, <laughs> for mm. saying that I figured it out. And then I explained how to get through the rest of the game. And they said I called the Nintendo tip line and refused to believe that there was any Holy way hell. on earth that I could have figured it out. Now, I don't blame them because that really is a nonsense game uh, in many ways. And I did, I did get lucky on, on that one section. But I did, and I was still, I mean, people still, not to this day, because I no longer live there, but people believed it as long as I lived in Southern Virginia, that I was a liar about Castlevania too. I, yeah, I've never really had like a traumatic, you know, video, something that really tied to a video game. I mean, maybe like just sort of loosely. I, I think about the only thing that I can think of is like when I was a kid, like a teenager, my dad would have me mow the yard, you know, like a lot of us did back then because that's what our parents used us for was, you know, labor. So, like, I, I would be mowing the yard, and in our backyard, we had this kind of garden, and I noticed, like, a, a kind of a hole in the ground that I was about to mow over, and I saw a bee go down into the ground. And I was like, that's funny. Like, why would a bee go down into the ground? So I ran the lawnmower over the hole, and there was about, like, 100 bees suddenly surrounding me. And just, like, <laughs> like just... Like they were at, they were after me because you know you'd probably be upset too if a lawnmower came over your house, and they sucked them all out, and they came at me like they were going, like they were they were in my clothes, they were stinging the shit out of me, so I ran around to the front, you know, like screaming because I was being assaulted by bees, and like my dad comes running out, and my dad's one of those people that's just like he when he's angry or when he's scared he looks angry. He just, you know, that's just how he is. That's kind of how I am, too. 
So he saw that I was being assaulted by underground bees, and like he just like <laughs> he starts beating the shit out of me. Like he wasn't hitting me, but he was trying to like get the bees off of me. Like I had already like kicked my shoes off and my shirt, but there were bees all over me. And so at that point, we had you know between me screaming and my dad beating the shit out of me, like we had we had several people like neighbors that had come outside to witness this, and so really all they see is just this father beating the shit out of his son that's just <laughs> screaming and crying. And I don't know what happened after that, but all I, all I know is like a couple of days later when we went to Best Buy, and this never happened, he was like, I'm going to let you just, you know, whatever game you want over here, you pick it, we're good to go. Mm. You, know, you, can, you can take that home. And Can I so finish that's, the story? I, that's when he got alpha what, mission. Yeah, <laughs> no, that is not actually. <laughs> I did that all on my damn self. Did that all Took of my a fucking ass beating for fucking alpha. <laughs> I that would have actually truly been a traumatic. I would have still been counseling and, for that, but no, he did not. And you know that I think I ended up with some random like Super Nintendo game or something at the time. But yeah, I think that's really about the only time. The only time I got anything was the time the dad beat the shit out of me with bees all over me that I got a video game for free basically. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's all I got. Thank you for writing in, Randall. I hope you got that off your chest. Um, you know, nearly killing yourself for a Yu-Gi-Oh card game. Anyway, that's going to do it for emails. Again, if you would like to write in and tell us your traumatic events or tell us how to pronounce your favorite city, please do so at Retrovania.net. Scroll all the way down to the bottom. There's this really fucking sweet contact form. You can fill that out. I can't promise that Seaman Grandpa will be there to help you out. But he, we will be there to help you out, and uh, we will actually be able to read all of that stuff on this show. So uh, send that in through the magic of the internet. And also on that same website, you can find links to everything Retrovania, including our Patreon, where you can force us to cover a game much like Celeste forced us to cover this game this week, The Adventures of Willie B. Mission on the Sega CD. Otherwise, find all of our other links on Retrovania, and we will see you next time. my own Sega CD system to play with in my own room. Hey, I can dream, can't I?